Good morning, Amazing Hope Church, and good morning to all those who are joining us from far and wide across the globe. It's my privilege to bring uh, the teaching, the preaching this morning, and we're continuing our new series today. We are looking at the names of our God. There are way over a hundred names that God gives him gives himself, and we're just going to be looking at a few of those in this spring season. We've called this Name Above All Names, because there is no name like the names that God gives to himself. Now, I think the greatest way to start this uh, series is by looking at one of the greatest names of our God, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning. But before we get into that, let me just uh, uh, just share a story. It's um, over 1,500 years ago that the Emperor Flavius built a tomb for his beloved sister. It's a small building. It's designed in the shape of a cross, and uh, in it is this beautiful vaulted ceiling. And this ceiling is covered with the most exquisite mosaics of swirling stars in indigo blue. As I said, the focal point of is the mosaic ceiling. And right at the centre of that is this depiction of God as the good shepherd. Jesus as the good shepherd in this sort of emerald paradise that he's pictured in. Now, the, the mausoleum, the Gala Placidia, stands in Ravenna in Italy and has been described by scholars like this. The earliest and best preserved of all mosaic monuments and one of the most artistically perfect. While many people see this in, in sort of tourist books or on postcards and go to this place to view these amazing mosaics. But actually, for many people, their experience isn't quite what they expect. They get into this building, this mausoleum, it's extremely dark, there are very few windows, and the windows that are there are very small, and they can hardly see a thing. And the truth is that many people leave disappointed. But if you're willing to stay long enough and that you realise that nothing really happens until you put a coin in a box. But when you do put a coin in the box, the lights come flooding on and there is this extraordinary picture of these magnificent uh, mosaics. Let me read you one comment. The lights come on for a brief moment, the briefest of moments. The eye doesn't have time to take it in. The eye casts all about it. It's dull, it's hot in darkness, but now there is this beautiful light. There's a starry sky, a dark blue hue, shimmering stars that seem startling. There's that cry of, ah, comes from below. And then the lights go out, and again there is darkness Darkness even darker than before. 
Well, I think the world finds itself in extreme darkness at the moment. Uh, in Britain, we're in our third lockdown. I don't know what state you are in, wherever you are in the world. But yet, it looks very dark. Well, I'm not going to be able to switch the lights on by putting a coin in a box. But I can switch the lights on by dropping a name of God right in the center of your thoughts and minds. And what will come will be this glorious illumination of God's splendor, glory, and majesty. Because there is no one like our God. As I said, I'm beginning this series, and we're going to be looking at um, one of the most important names of our God. The one that's most commonly used throughout the scriptures. It is his name, Yahweh. Yahweh. It's used uh, 6,823 times. And in the Hebrew text, it just appears as four consonants. The vowels are non-existent, which actually makes trying to uh, find the correct pronunciation of the name rather difficult. It's known as the tetragrammatitas, which just simply means uh, four letters. But it's commonly described or used as Yahweh, Yahweh. In the English translation, you will find it written as the Lord in capital letters, Lord in capital letters, to distinguish from any other Lord that might be mentioned in the scriptures. You'll first find it in Genesis 2 and then throughout the book of Genesis but actually, that's not the first time that it's revealed to man. We're going to look just for a moment at the time when this name of God is, is given to mankind. In fact, to the person of Moses. Let me just set the scene for you. God made us for intimate relationship. We've been hearing a lot of that through Chris this morning. And his greatest joy is perfect connectivity, connection with us. And he made man and woman and constantly sought uh, their presence, their connection. But sadly, as we know, mankind rebelled, Adam and Eve rebelled, and their sin separated them from the God of God love. But God still chooses relationship with us. And he takes a childless man by the name of Adam, builds a relationship with him, and chooses him to be his people. A great nation, the people of Israel, uh, born by miracle, an extraordinary story of God's grace and mercy, all about God longing for relationship with us. Well, sadly, there was a dark period in uh, God's people's history. They were in slavery in Egypt for a very long time. But God heard their cry for deliverance. And he had a plan. And his plan was in this man, Moses. Moses, this once prince of Egypt, who became a murderer and then a runaway and a fugitive. Uh, for 40 years, he'd been wandering in the desert as a shepherd. Then this moment, this moment when God meets Moses through a, a bush, just an ordinary scrub that was caught on fire yet did not burn. 
Why a bush? Well, because there is no place that God cannot inhabit, even a humble bush. There's no place he would not lower himself, stoop down in order to express his love to us, his desire for relationship with us. After he finally comes, um, the scriptures say, as a helpless babe, such is his humility towards us, in order for relationship, eternal connection to be possible through the supreme sacrifice of his life for us. So here is God speaking to Moses through the bush in which he is commissioning Moses to be the liberator of God's people. This is Exodus 3. And in this discourse, in this commissioning, uh, Moses is reluctant to do what God says and has lots of questions about this commission. And we're just going to look at two of those. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You know, it doesn't matter who we are. What is vitally important is that God is with us and for us. Therefore, we can take any challenge and be more than conquerors because he is with us and he is for us. It goes on to say, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, I am who I am, he said. Say this to the people of Israel. I am was sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So the first name I'm dropping in the box in this series, it's the name Yahweh. And that will illuminate our world and our life. The great I am. These Yahweh and I am are synonymous. It's a treasure trove of a name. It has so much meaning. We're just going to simply have time to look at three aspects of this amazing name of God, Yahweh. The first one is this. He is the eternal one. I am who I am. Yahweh, it means simply the self-existent one with no beginning and no end. I used to spend a lot of time in schools, in colleges and universities debating the validity of Christianity, uh, dealing with sort of apologetic issues, those questions that people have about the Christian faith. And one of the questions I would uh, regularly get asked was this. Uh, who made God? Who made him? Uh, and I used to answer this um, question usually in this way. And I used to say, look, this might really shock you, 
But atheists and Christians all believe in eternity. I remember seeing their faces. They looked puzzled. I said, look, an atheist believes that matter has always existed. Maybe not in the form, in the substance of this current cosmos that we're experiencing, but it's all been there. It's just taken time to shape and fold into the manner that it is now. But it's always existed. And I would say, hey, that's a huge step of faith to believe in eternal matter. I don't think it's a, a bigger step to take. In fact, I think it's a smaller step to take to believe that God is eternal, that he's always been there. And don't we see in life extraordinary design and order and intelligence? I think it speaks that God has been at the root and at the beginning of all things. Currently on our BBC television is a, a, a programme which is called The Perfect Planet. It's the la latest David Attenborough nature series. I don't know if you get it on your televisions where you are, but it's a sheer delight and joy to look at this programme and see the wonders of our world. It's truly inspirational. Now, this programme has been inspired by um, scientists marvelling at the wonder of life on this planet. There is such a minute chance of all the circumstances coming together to form life that they have said that this planet is the perfect planet, or a perfect planet. It speaks of the numerous factors that have to perfectly come together with the appropriate complexity that interact together in a flawless manner in order for life to be sustained. It has all the hallmarks of intelligence and design. A famous scientist by the name of Frederick uh, Hoy uh, said this when he was asked, uh, how possible is it to have a perfect world uh, as we have it here, coming out of random chance and uh, the uh, uh, selection of the fittest? He said this, he put it very colourfully, when he was asked this question, he said he explained the existence of a perfect earth in relationship to being formed by random facts. This is what he said. This scenario, it's about as likely as a tornado whirling through a junkyard and accidentally assembling a full-functioning Boeing 747. God is the self-existing one. He has always been, and we have clear evidence of that by the amazing things that he's made. Nobel Prize winner Sir Francis Crick said this, the origin of life appears to almost be a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have had to be satisfied to get it going. Wow. I'm so thrilled that we know a God who is Yahweh, the always existing one, that everything issues from his great design and purpose. But let's not look back, let's now look forward, because eternity has a future, there's always a tomorrow. 
I don't know if you ever wondered, if, if we were creatures that were created because of random forces, of accidental chance, why we would have eternity at the root of ourselves, at the very heart of our being. Seems crazy that we would have such a concept that we'd ever think up such a thing. Or could it be that actually at the heart of everything is the great I am, Yahweh, the only eternal one? If he's at the core of everything, therefore you'd expect everything to have eternity written all over it. This is what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts of man. Wow. You see, very simply, he made us in his image. And as a result of that, eternity is at our very core of being. We long for it. We believe we're destined for it. Wow. You know, there's a famous uh, scripture, we probably all know it, John 3.16, that speaks about why Jesus came. Let me read it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It was his love for us and his passion to enjoy eternal relationship with us is why he came and why he died. You know, when the uh, religious leaders of uh, Jesus' time questioned the identity of Jesus, he says these words in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. They knew exactly what he was talking about when he used those specific words, that name of God revealed first to Moses, and now he is with us in the flesh. He made many I am statements. We're going to be looking at some of those right at the end. But one of the great statements, the great I am Yahweh statements that he makes, is when he's at the tomb of his closest friend, Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. He simply says this in John eleven twenty five: 25, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not surprising that when God came to earth in the form of Jesus, that every funeral he went to, he stopped. He brought eternal life into that situation. He brought resurrection. Wow. No exception, even though Lazarus has been dead four days, he comes to life with just one command from the master's voice. Our longing for eternity is because we're made in the image of an eternal God who longs to spend ever and a day with us. One day Jesus is preaching a very hard message to a crowd. Many of them leave Jesus and never return. And uh, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave me too? And then the spokesman, Peter, he seemed to be always the one who spoke up first. He simply said these words in John 6, 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Some versions say, you only have the words 
of eternal life. That's the truth about our God because he's the self-existing one. He never has a beginning and he never has an end. And eternity is written in our hearts. We long for it because we were destined to enjoy it. It's June the 18th, 1815. A man is stood on the tower of Winchester Cathedral. He's gazing anxiously out to the sea. He's looking for something, but he hasn't yet found it. Suddenly, the mist clears and a ship is seen at a distance. It's a ship sending an important message by the use of lights. And he is there to record it and then communicate it right across the world. See, England is waiting in bated breath over a resort of a significant battle. It's their military leader, the Duke of Wellington, against Napoleon Bonaparte, it's Waterloo. And they want to know, have they been successful or not? If they had not, then it would only be a matter of time before Napoleon Bonaparte would have invaded uh, Great Britain and taken the whole of Europe. And as he stood there on the top of Winchester Cathedral, he saw the lights go on and he faithfully sent the signal on. And the words that he saw were simply this, Wellington defeated. And then the fog came down and that was the message that was sent across Great Britain. You can imagine everybody's heart sinking. Then the mist cleared. And the message was seen again. This time in its entirety. It simply said this. Wellington defeated the French. You can imagine the jubilation that took place. We call it Good Friday. Many might question why was it called such a thing when the saviour of the world, as he declared himself, was lifeless, dead, buried in a cold tomb with no hope that his truth and his message would prevail. Jesus defeated. But three glorious days later, the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, there is no body in the tomb because eternity has just broken out here on earth once again, living, active, fulfilling his mission of drawing us back to relationship, redeeming us so that we can be set free. The truth of the resurrection, the evidence of the empty tomb and this promise Whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in Yahweh, will have eternal life. Secondly, as we look at this name, Yahweh, it speaks about the one who is totally unchangeable. In a world that is so full of uncertainty, we're never quite sure what's going to happen. We can't control this coronavirus. We're never quite sure whether we're going to be in lockdown or come out of lockdown, whether we're going to have freedoms or restrictions. We have a God who is unchangeable. 
I heard of a man in lockdown who moved all his gin and whiskey to his loft. When he was asked why did he do that, he said that he wanted to keep his spirits up. I'm so sorry. Everybody's groaning here as I say it. I'm sorry. I want to say some things, though, that keeps your spirit up. And it's this, that the great I am, the self-existent one, is unchangeable. He is always for us and with us. The God who spoke to Moses through the burning bush is the same God today. And he's about liberating the enslaved people to enjoy all that he has. In another revelation of himself to Moses, we find these words. It's in Exodus 34, 6. She's speaking about God. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Wow. Doesn't that get your spirits up? He's for us. He's the God who came to give us forgiveness, a fresh beginning, a new start, to change us into new creatures in Christ, to have this eternal relationship with him and to enjoy all his abundance here on earth. What a promise. But this name Yahweh, this I am, well, it's, it's also like a sentence that hasn't been completed. I think that's deliberate. I think it's for us to complete the sentence. It's for us to say, God, I need you to be this and I need you to be that. Whatever you need God to be, he is saying, Yahweh, I am what you need to be. So when we are in darkness, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When we are hungry, he says, I'm the bread of life. When we are thirsty for things like normality at the moment, Jesus says, I'm the living water that will enable you never to thirst again. When you are defenseless, Jesus says he is the good shepherd who will always look after his sheep. He becomes the I am that we need. I love Philippians 4.19. I'm sure you know it. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I love the Amplified Version because it says that he liberally supplies, he fills until full. Don't you like that? He fills until full. I am the one who fills till you are full. Now we, Floss and I, celebrate uh, 40 years uh, in ministry this year, in sort of uh, April, May of this year, would be our 40th anniversary. It was then that um, the sort of directors, or the trustees rather, of uh, Norwich Youth of Christ asked me to leave my uh, probation profession and to work full-time as a missionary uh, in, to young people in the area that we were in, in Norwich and Norfolk. And uh, it was such a privilege to respond to that. 
It was such a joy to be asked to, uh, to do such a task and for others to feel that we were called and anointed for such a task as that. There was only one problem, that there was no money. They said, right, we'd love you to work for us, but we can't afford you. You're going to have to um, raise your own finances. What they called living by faith. Mine, we're all called to live by faith, but I understand the essence of what they're saying. And we began an adventure for 12 years. We began an adventure of um, knowing that though we had not enough money coming into the bank in order to meet our needs, God would never fail us in provision. I know uh, Flossie's parents were uh, very concerned about uh, the step that I was taking it and feeling that I was being irresponsible. But we'd heard God. And though we had a mortgage and a, a, a child on the way and, and all, the, all the financial uh, um, uh, challenges of running a home in a car and such like, we trusted God. I remember one day when we had a car bill that we just could not pay. And uh, uh, at that time, um, Flossie's parents were with us. We were aware of uh, just how difficult they thought our situation was and, and how unwise we were being. And I, I remember an incident where uh, through the letterbox came an envelope. We had not made our needs known at all. That nobody had any idea that we had a bill that we could not pay. We didn't do that. But in this envelope, in cash, was the money to pay. And what was a very odd amount of money to pay for the car came through the letterbox and met the car bill absolutely perfectly. I, I have to admit, I was a bit naughty because uh, I just waved the pound notes in front of uh, Flossie's parents just to say, look, God does meet every need that we have. I know it was a bit naughty, but I just had to do it. I remember uh, some years uh, after we started, we'd, we'd not had a family holiday uh, and uh, we were much in need of that. And um, one of our friends had just gone to the uh, centre parks. They'd just opened in Nottingham, the first one, I think. And they talked about how wonderful it was and how it would be a uh, perfect holiday for us as a family. And we thought, yeah, there's no way. No way. But we just, we, I don't think we even prayed for it because we thought it was just too, too out of our league. But we just, just longing, God, wouldn't it be lovely? Well, this Christmas we were reading through some of the uh, stories of what God had done in our lives. And we came across this page which said that this um, uh, particular group of people, who in fact were um, uh, one of the uh, uh, bands that we had in Youth for Christ, in British Youth for Christ at the day, just felt that we were on their hearts and that we needed a holiday and they sent us a check. And in the letter they just said, by the way, this is for a holiday that you need. Have you thought about centre parks? Have you thought about centre parks? Had we thought about centre parks? We've been dreaming. Well, it was such a large sum of money. We were able to go in peak time for a week in the summer holidays with our whole family. Because we have a God who is unchanging. He's the one who's promised to meet all your needs and beyond our needs, sometimes our wants. Such is his generosity. He is the unchanging one. Going through experiences like that just shape you and mold you 
forever. God is faithful. Thirdly and finally, Yahweh. He is Lord. Remember it's translated mostly in the scripture as Lord in the English versions and that's where I want to finish today. Is he Lord of your life? Well, his name is revealed to Moses who's commissioned to go to Egypt and set God's people free. And it seems like with his questions, he's wriggling out. He doesn't want to do it. But we have to say this about Moses. Even if he was reluctant, he was obedient. He went to Pharaoh and the story, well, we, it's all history now, isn't it? We know of the great miracles that took place and God's people were set free. You know, there's one clear indication that God is Yahweh to us. And that is when we are obedient and we raise him up to be truly our Lord. This is 1 John 2, 3. This is what uh, the writer John says. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whatever Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You know, we may know a lot about Christianity. We may have attended church. We may have read right way through the scriptures. There may be very little that, that takes us by surprise. We have gathered so much information. It is meaningless if we've not obeyed our God. If we've not done the things that Jesus has called us to and lived the life that Jesus lived. There's a very a sobering picture in Revelation 3.20. It's a picture of Jesus standing outside his church, knocking on the door and asking to come in. Now just think of that picture. How could ever there be a church where Jesus is not in the centre? Well, I've been to many of them, sadly. It can happen. And it can happen in our own lives that Jesus wants to enter our home, our lives, and yet he's outside knocking to come in. Wow. Somebody said this, we are already educated way beyond the level of obedience. What John was saying is that actually when we make Jesus our Lord, it is evident by the fact that we obey more than anything else. Lordship is about obeying what he's called us to. It's not theological, it's experiential. It's experiencing what he's called us to do. Wow. Matthew 7 says these words. He says these words to people who are calling God Lord. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's very sobering, isn't it? Could we be guilty of calling God Lord, Yahweh, yet actually not obeying his commands? 
not listening to what he says. Let me finish with one story. It's about a film that is a family favourite. When my kids were young, Ben and James and Fleur, we loved to watch this. It's a very quirky film. It's The Princess Bride, uh, written by uh, William Goldman, the, the book uh, the, the movie's made of. And um, it begins with the heroine of uh, the story. Uh, her name is Buttercup. I, I didn't invent these names. This is the name she is. And um, she uh, lives on a big estate or farm, and she has a farmhand. She calls him, very disrespectfully, farm boy, farm boy. And she commands him to do lots of different things around the farm. And every time she gives a command, he just simply says this, as you wish, as you wish. Well, as these two get older and the hormones begin to rise up, it's clear that Buttercup is beginning to feel something towards farm boy, humble farm boy, who becomes the hero in the story. And on one day, she's, she's uh, she sat down and um, she sees this picture, which is very close to her, her, but she doesn't pick it up or go to get it. She commands the farm boy to walk a long distance, pick up this picture that's right next to her, and give it to her. And when she commands him to do that, he just picks it up, he obeys, and then he gets close to her, and he whispers these words. As you wish. And as he does that, she suddenly realises that at that very moment in time, he has been seven, saying every time that, that he uses those words, as you wish, he has been really saying, I love you. You know, the truth is this. He is Lord of everything. He wants to be made Lord of our lives. He gives us the freedom to make that choice. And we do that by obedience. Every time we do what God asks us to do, as you wish, we are really saying, I love you. Then, when we use those words, Lord, Lord, he receives them and receives us into this glorious relationship with him. Yahweh, the I am that I am, the eternal one, the unchanging one, the one who is Lord over all. Let's pray. I want to finish by uh, two appeals, really. The first one is this. What is it that you need from God today? How do you want to end that sentence? I am the I am. Maybe you need peace. Then he will come to you as peace. Maybe you need healing and wholeness. Whether that's in your mind, in your body, or in your emotions, he comes as the healer. Maybe at the moment you're troubled in your mind, he can come to you as the I am of sound mind. Maybe you need him as the provider. Well, he is the one who is the I am the greatest provider. I want you to finish that sentence off as I pray for you right now. What is it you need? Ask him for it. 
It may seem crazy, like we thought about a holiday at Centre Parks. But God is more than able. There is nothing that he cannot do. So just do that right now. Just pray your I am's to him. And I just want to pray for you. Father God, I pray for everyone right now who is in need of you. In these desperate times of pandemic, Lord, come. You know exactly what a person needs. Come as that I am to them right now and be the answer for every cry of their heart. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you release your presence right now in people's homes. And we just encounter the reality of the eternal one right now in Jesus' name. Jesus. 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 And secondly, I don't know if God is your Lord, if you have turned to him in obedience if you said to him, truly by your obedience, I love you, this is an opportunity to do that. It's not about knowing about Yahweh. It's about an intimate relationship with him that begins with obedience. First of all, it began with Christ's obedience to his Father God. And it continues with our obedience to his call to follow him and do what he's asked us to do. So today... Eternity can possess you because he came that you might have eternal life through the forgiveness of your sins. So it's an opportunity to make Jesus Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for all those who are yet to know you as Saviour and Lord, the eternal one with eternal realities. I pray now that you will hear their cry, you will forgive their sin, and that you will move them to this place where you are truly Lord and the first, first desire of their hearts is to be obedient to you. As you wish. May it echo from their hearts and may it be the true expression that they truly love you. I just pray this now in the beautiful Beautiful name of Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Amen. If you feel you'd like to be helped further with this perhaps call to Jesus as your Lord, or you just have one of those I am's that you need, then the uh, prayer room is empty. Just click on the link below and uh, you will be able to just get in there with somebody who can pray for you and just love you through uh, what God is doing in your life. May God richly, richly bless you.